Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is a special edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. In this hour, what the future holds for three graduates that we profiled here on the program. From Spelman College, Alexandra Warner, a health sciences major. She shares her story of a tragic accident that nearly took her life and how it shaped her career pursuit. From Georgia Tech, Candace Washington, and what she plans to do with a master's in construction management. And from Emory University, Anna Voss, neuroscience and behavioral biology major, and one of five Emory graduating seniors to win the National Science Foundation Graduate Fellowship. Those conversations coming up. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE from Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Now, most of the commencement ceremonies for our local colleges and universities have come and gone. Again, I had a great time at Clayton State University. Congratulations to all of the graduates out there. And every year, Closer Look profiles a few of these graduates from across our region. And we'd love to get, we'd love to profile all thousands of y'all, but we can't. So today, as we kick off our 2022 graduation series, we begin with Emory University. And before we get to our graduate, let's hear from film and television producer, director, and philanthropist Tyler Perry as he spoke at Emory's 177th commencement ceremony. As you leave the safety of these hollow grounds, I want you to continue to look for professors. I can look at your face right now. You're going, Tyler, I don't want to see another professor as long as I live. But I assure you, professors will be with you all of your life. I'm 52 years old and I'm still meeting professors. And what that means is anyone who comes into your life, anyone who comes to teach you something, to bring value, something, sometimes these lessons are hard and painful, but yet they are there to make you stronger. So count those people as professors. Well, among Emory's graduates, Anna Voss. Anna majored in neuroscience and behavior biology and is one of five Emory senior graduates to win the National Science Foundation Graduate Fellowship Anna, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for taking the time, and congratulations. 
Thank you so much for having me. Let's begin here. Who are those professors in your life? Because now is the time to thank everybody. And if they're listening, you better start with mama and daddy. I'm assuming. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. No, I 100% wouldn't be here without my parents and my little sister. My little sister's graduating high school this year too. So she's, she, I hope she's listening out there too. (laughs) Um, But no, my professors in my life have been like Tyler Perry was saying, it's, it's professors both at Emory. Uh, I started research at Emory when I was 16 Mm -hmm. um, and I would not be where I am today without Dr. Mike Epstein, who I started research with at 16 and Dr. Stephen Sloan, he's who I currently work with and who I'll work with for the rest of the summer before I go up to Pennsylvania for my PhD. Um, He's by far, both of them have been extremely influential in developing who I am today. Um, But like Tyler Perry said, even outside of that, um, the people that I've met at Emory, whether they be upperclassmen or underclassmen Mm -hmm. who they're constantly influencing me and I'm on the crew team at Emory and I always tell the underclassmen, they teach me things every day about who I am as a person, about being a better rower, about all aspects of myself. And so I think every single person I've probably met at Emory has been a professor to me in some way or another. Now, does rowing take some of the stress off of the academics? See, I, I understand, like I could go play ball, Absolutely. You know, play, <laughs> play golf ball, but no, you go and row. Yeah. Yeah. We, it's so nice. So we row at stone mountain. Um, it's like probably 20, 30 minutes with traffic Mm -hmm. sometimes, but 20 minutes from campus and we're the only people on the water. And one of my favorite things to do, we have early morning practice. It's the stereotypical crew. We'll get up at 5.00 AM sometimes and go out and row. Um, but we see the sunrise in the morning and it's just us on stone mountain Lake. And we get to see the sunrise out on the water. And then after that, we'll go to our classes and I'll go to lab. And it's a very great way to start the day. It's where I kind of can re regroup and kind of Mm -hmm. gain some peace to start the day. Let's talk about this interest is now where it's going to be a career path in neuroscience and behavioral biology. Can you take me through at what age did you realize, you know what, I'm going to go with neuroscience (laughs) and this whole area of behavioral biology. When did that start? Absolutely. So I started in neuroscience or my interest in neuroscience started when I was really young. Um, So I've had anxiety disorder since practically when I was born. Mm -hmm. I've had it for as long as I can remember. And in seventh grade, I was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD. Mm -hmm. And when I was diagnosed with that, I remember hearing that my case was severe and that I'd likely have it for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And that that was going to be one of my struggles for the rest of my life. And When I heard that, I just have this very strong recollection of thinking to myself, I don't want this to be the way it has to be for everyone. Mm -hmm. And it it very nicely coincided. I was learning about genetics for the first time in seventh grade. I went to Peachtree Middle School in Dunwoody Mm -hmm. and I was learning about genetics for the first time. And it was around the same time that I was diagnosed. And so that kind of perfectly coincided with this idea of okay, what about my genetics is different that's leading to this disorder? Because it's really frustrated me and I really want to know. And that that type of question has driven me up until this point. And I, I think that it'll continue to drive me throughout my career. And so when I was in high school, that's how I first got interested in research where I just had this question about OCD, about anxiety, of where this, these disorders were stemming from and kind of what was causing these disorders. And I still, that drives me today. And does it help, Anna, that... Or is it an asset for you? Because since you're someone who's very open about your own condition and then you're also working in this space, does that give you some extra, I don't want to say incentive, but also 
you may be, maybe you're able to say, you know what, let's talk about this. Let's go down this pathway because I can tell you it's important from my own personal standpoint. Does that help? Absolutely. I, I, it's interesting. I was not comfortable talking about it at all in high school. In Mm -hmm. high school, I worked very hard to hide. I wanted to be quote unquote normal, look normal, not, nobody knew that I had OCD. If you had told my best friend in high school that I had OCD, she probably wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, but when I started college, I realized how many people actually suffer from these conditions and how, how impactful it can be to start openly talking about them, especially like you just mentioned in science Um, at Emory, we have a program called Initiative for Maximizing Student Development. Mm -hmm. And that's a program that I joined my sophomore year. And it's for underrepresented scientists and kind of just, it's a forum for people underrepresented underrepresented in the sciences to really start openly discussing things like this, whether it be racial disparities, gender disparities, kind of, or for me, mental health disparities. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of times we had a long conversation my sophomore or junior year, I think about how can we be inclusive, especially in a way that's inclusive of neurodivergent people? Because mm-hmm. those are those people are often neglected to be talked about when, especially because it's a hidden illness. So mm-hmm. like I said, if I didn't tell you, you probably wouldn't know, <laughs> um, which can be very detrimental in some cases. And what you're talking about is, is so needed. I've had so many conversations where we talk about in terms of research and, and studies mm-hmm. and how important it is to have a diverse pool of not just only participants, but also those who are running these research studies and these clinical trials, because that only adds to the uh, possibility of of some type of of treatment or or effective outcome. I want to take a stab at sounding like I'm really smart, because I'm going to ask you to explain your research, but I want the listeners to know that I'm going to introduce this, so hang with me. Because you recently (laughs) published as as the first author on new research into neurogenetics, which found a combination of five proteins responsible for the growth of astrocytes in the brain. How'd I do? Is that, is that good? You're great. Sounds now, great. Now, what, you what got did I, through the long title. Right. Now, what did I just say? <laughs> Explain that. <laughs> yeah, so we just submitted a paper last week. Um, it'll be my first first author paper that I'm really excited about. And so my lab, which, like I said, I, I work with Dr. Stephen Sloan at Emory. Um, we're in the Department of Human Genetics. And so my lab started in the fall of 2018, and I joined shortly after. Um, and I actually started on a different project when I joined the lab. But during COVID, I pivoted and started this new project. Um, and we study a cell type in the brain called astrocytes, like you said. And mm-hmm. basically, they were previously thought of as, of as just support cells in the brain. So basically cells that might support neurons and provide some structure to the brain and the neurons that are firing the action potentials in our brain. Mm-hmm. Um, but what research has shown lately and what my lab is kind of continuing to show is that these cells actually do a lot more than just support these neurons. So they're, they can be really influential in neurodevelopmental disorders, such as schizophrenia and autism. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what we're ultimately working towards. Um, but before we even get there, we don't know how they develop. So what my project is looking at is looking at, like you said, I'm looking at proteins. So mm-hmm. these kind of extrinsic signals that could be secreted by neurons and might bind back to astrocytes um, that might influence astrocyte development. So what signal, basically my question is, what signals can we, can the brain produce that would drive astrocyte development. I want to switch for a moment before we uh, say goodbye because I have a listener that just sent me a message saying, Rose, I am so glad to hear this young woman talk about OCD um, being diagnosed (laughs) when she was 12. So that's a statement from a listener. When you hear that, what goes through your mind? It makes me very grateful that 
other people are willing to share their experiences and kind of share the gratitude towards someone else sharing their experience. Because like I said, it wasn't always the case. I'm very open about it now, but it definitely was not always the case that I was open about it. And so if I can, if I can help someone know that there is someone out there and there's somebody that cares about you and that you'll get through, I'm, I'm very grateful. And I hope that everyone knows that. And this is a question that, that every graduate gets as long as we've been doing this series. And I asked him, okay, so where do you see yourself in five to 10 years? <laughs> yes. <laughs> in five years, I'll likely still be getting my PhD at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm getting, I'm starting there this fall to get my PhD in neuroscience. Um, so I'm really excited about moving up to Philly. I've been in Atlanta for 10 years though. So it's going to be very sad to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so in five years, that's a six year program usually. So I'll be there. And then in 10 years, I really want to be a professor. So I want to stay in academia, maybe even come back to Atlanta and be a professor and have my own lab. And like I said, really start to study these psychiatric disorders and understand some more about them. And you're from Marietta. And for a, a freshman that's entering or a young person who's graduated from high school and entering in whatever that next chapter is in their life, what do you want to say to them? If you Also, if you could say to the younger Anna back then, what would you say about this? Ooh this next phase after high school? (laughs) I'd say enjoy every moment of it. If there's one thing that I realized because of COVID, it's that it goes by way too quickly. (laughs) Um, I undergraduate was, was, I think it's true for a lot of people. I had, I had such a large growing experience and growth happening during undergraduate that I could not have imagined, especially starting research so early. I thought I had it all figured out. It was going to be great. (laughs) And everybody said, you might change course. And I pretty much stayed. I've always been interested in neuroscience, but my friends and I were just talking about the ways that we all thought that we've kind of matured and changed through the years. And so I think it's cliche, but living in the present is extremely important, especially in undergraduate. I think especially as I was entering, I was so, so excited to look for the future, look for the future, look at this next step, I'll apply to this scholarship. Um, But there was so much happening that I now look back on and it was just one of the best experiences of my life. And I I would have loved to live in the present some more. (laughs) And for your graduating class, whether it's Emory or any other ones for this year, you all doing this during the pandemic. Yep, yep. What was that like? How do you sum that up? It, like I said, it feels like a whirlwind. I think when we started senior year, so this last fall, a lot of my friends and I, I joked, I still felt like a sophomore. It got kind of cut off right at spring break my sophomore year and we all kind of bolted home and went went back to my parents' house um, for about a year and a half. <laughs> um, and so it, it was very strange. I think none of us could have predicted. I remember thinking over the summer, oh yeah, we'll be back on campus in the fall of my junior year because Emory was all virtual mm-hmm. um, this, not this last year, but the year before my junior year. And so it was it was just very strange, but it it really brought me closer together with my friends, my family that I was able to move back to campus with my roommates. And so it was a odd experience, but I still <laughs> I I was able to get so much further on my work in lab and I missed rowing, but I still got to talk to my friends. And so we got through it. It, you, it was definitely I think something I'll never forget. <laughs> are you gonna continue to row? I mean, they've got some places for you to row up in, in Pennsylvania, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. UPenn is right next to the Schuylkill River. So I'm hoping to row in in Philly, but we'll see. I I think I want to stay with it. I think it might leave a big hole in my heart if I drop it. (laughs) I think you should. I think you should continue because let me tell you something. You have to disconnect Anna and take it from a take it from an old pro doing something (laughs) she's loved for the last almost three decades. You got to disconnect. You got to take time for yourself, whatever that is. From Mary University, recent graduate. Anna Voss majored in neuroscience and behavioral biology, one of five Emory graduating seniors 
to win the National Science Foundation Graduate Fellowship. We've been talking about her journey so far. Anna, congratulations once again. Best of luck to you. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you so much, Ms. Scott. And Closer Look continues here on 90.1 WABE from Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Okay, raise your hand, unless you're driving or on a bike or an electric scooter, because I don't want y'all to crash. If you knew exactly what your career path was going to be after college. Now, I know for some, you had no idea. You're like, what do I do now? But for many others, you knew. As we continue our graduate profile series, we look to the Georgia Institute of Technology, or as we plain folks say, Georgia Tech, And during one of the graduation ceremonies, Raphael Bostic, the president and CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, well, he talked to the graduates who earned their master's degrees in various disciplines. When you get your master's degree and you settle into jobs as new graduates, you are going to be in positions where others won't have the same experiences as you. These may be people in your field, or they might be people in the Georgia Tech community. Some will just reach out because you are going to have a visibility you didn't have before. Wherever they come from, these people will want to engage with and learn from you. And when they ask to do that, say yes. Sharing what you know will become part and parcel of your narrative and your success. Hmm. Well, Candace Washington was listening to Raphael Bostic. The graduate, of course, Georgia Tech, earned her master's in construction management but that's there's more. She is the CEO and founder of the privately owned WB. WMBE certified construction management and engineering firms, Cancave Management and Cancave Engineering. She knows a lot more about this stuff than I do, so she joins me now. Candace Washington, welcome and congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Dr. Bostick talked to you all about achieving success, which most commencement speakers do. That's what I did. And the importance of embracing the journey of their your unique career paths and all that. I said that too. But this career path that you on, how long have you known this is where I'm going to be? This is going to be my space. Um, well, actually, Rose, my career path is really a non-traditional path. Mm-hmm. Um, I started actually in uh, project management and I worked at a properly owned company that where I was had the responsibility as the VP of operations that I oversaw all the capital improvements. And I guess it had to be, my son was about six years old and he uh, started school and I decided I wanted to be available to him. I wanted to be able to go to have lunch and the PTA meetings. And as a result, I started my companies in 2014. Hmm. And uh, I took what I knew, which was project management. Uh, I am a certified project manager and I started a company in doing the consulting. Uh, we supported the construction management industry primarily, and as a result, I started to get more inquiries around construction. So I kind of changed directions and included construction management as part of our uh, business services. And on a quest to ensure that I knew what I knew in the industry, I ended up look, found a, a, a program at Georgia Tech. And as a result, I enrolled in the program. And then once I got in there and just 
complimenting the things that we were doing at my companies, I knew that construction managements were, um, I had the most excitement, I had the most, um, I was more interested in those activities that related to that. So that's when I knew. I have had conversations on this program before as it relates to construction and when they look at this, what we'll call, they call the gender gap and of people working in construction and the very, very low percentage who are women. That is not lost on you. You know that to be true. Yes, absolutely. Um, In addition to earning my uh, master's, I actually am a graduate research student at Georgia Tech and the... um, direction that I'm taking my research is specifically catered and specific to women in construction. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Part of my research, uh, when I really dug into the details, the women represent about 9% of the population, the demographic within construction. And interestingly enough, of that, about 1% represents women of color. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of work to do Uh, The research really started as a way to address the labor shortages that we are experiencing within the construction industry. And with the women representing only 9%, there's an opportunity for women to, you know, get into the space. And when we talk about women in construction, but we can take that a little further and probably look at the numbers, and I'm sure the percentage will be low when you talk about women in construction management. Absolutely. So when you look a little further, when you actually talk about 9% of that being women, of the 9%, we have about 3% actually doing the management of the construction. The other percentages are usually in the administrative roles um, and not necessarily, you know, the front lines, that's the supervisors, the superintendents, the um technology coordinators and things of that nature. I know that at, I believe it's Kennesaw State, because we actually had, had that segment on this program, that they have a, a Department of Construction Management. Is one way also to increase, I guess we call it the pipeline, is to introduce this field to maybe even start in elementary, middle, high school. And then obviously when you get to, then you start looking at a university or a college, then that student says, well, you know what, they have, I can get a degree in this. Is that one way of also getting into this field and increasing well, the number you, of women? Yeah, you actually must be reading my research because that's exactly the population. I promise I'm my not. Re- <laughs> <laughs> my research is actually catered to uh, female s- students age 11 through 17. And the questions in the survey is to understand their perceptions of women in construction. So the the topic of my research is identifying obstacles and barriers within construction management. And the the goal is to remove those obstacles and barriers to get young girls interested in construction. What is their perception? Do you have some feedback you can share already? When you ask an 11-year-old, hey, tell me about construction, what do you think? What is, what is oh that? yeah, it's 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 uh, <laughs> it's actually kind of um, interesting. I'll say, uh, sweaty is hot. Uh, <laughs> a bunch of guys, uh, you know those type of things, yeah. and you know they don't want to be outside. They don't you know want to mess up their clothes. They want to stay neat and clean, and those type of things. But what I found is really that there is just a lack of knowledge of mm-hmm. all of the career opportunities that the construction industry has. Mm-hmm. 
and this is and this is you're researching this and yes. from that then from that you're able to say well if we take a strategic approach to introducing this this career to young girls whether it's middle school or high school whatever what are those approaches do you have any can you offer some strategies right now and how we introduce this and i know for some in some schools i know at APS they have introduced like you know mechanical you know working on cars and things like that and and they've introduced students by partnering with you know actual companies is that going to be key as well absolutely uh, there is one school within Cobb County that actually focuses on the trades, specifically within the construction industry. Uh, it's called CETA, Cobb uh, Innovation and Technology Academies, and it's in uh, North uh, North Cobb, North Georgia. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, North Cobb, <laughs> um, in the north part of the Cobb County mm-hmm. School District. And those are great in terms of getting students introduced to the trades. Another way that we want to ensure that students have opportunities um, to explore the job opportunities is to actually look at um, careers specifically that relate to the management of construction. Mm -hmm. So within Georgia Tech, for example, our curriculum is designed to uh, teach the necessary skills for students to understand how to effectively manage the entire process, to understand the technology that's required. Uh, We have um, a a great example of a curriculum that we want to include, and that's gonna be a virtual reality uh, Mm -hmm. type of environment where the student is immersed within the actual construction site, and they can interact with the actual project to understand the outcomes of their decisions. You and I both know the importance for students, certain communities, specific ethnic groups. You, We both know the importance of seeing someone who looks like you, who comes from your community, who comes from your space, so to speak, uh, doing something that they may have an interest in. I spoke recently to some students at North Springs High School, and I had a young woman after after my presentation. She came to me. She said, "You know, I'm so glad to be to see you here because you are a woman of color in journalism." You know, and when and I think it was 14 or 15 years old. And so when you when a young person says that to you, you know, that's a, that's a great feeling about that about being doing what we do and inspiring the next generation. Because we could go on and we could do have our careers and, and not talk to anybody. That's not That's what we right. do. But that is so important, Candace. It's so important. It actually is, Rose. I, I can tell you the number of times that I've gone to construction meetings or I've met with the executive committee over a project, and I'm usually the only female or the only uh, person of color in the room. Mm-hmm. And you talk about having a seat at the table. That can be extremely intimidating to, to anyone and to be taken seriously. And so actually part of our research is there's an element on mentorship mm-hmm. and uh, across the board, everyone has indicated that it's important for them to see themselves in the role that they're striving to have. Mm-hmm. I think often when we talk about, oh, everybody gets a seat at the table. Well, you look around the table and you're like, hmm, it's just me. <laughs> 
I want to yeah. I want to I want to shift and focus on you for a moment because I understand you were actually enrolled in a doctorate program at another institution, but then you said, eh, "Nope, I'm gonna stay at Georgia Tech." Um, and also, we should know that you received a an is it an OMED Tower Award? I did. So you're absolutely right. Georgia Tech came during a time in which I was actually enrolled in a doctorate program at another university and another concentration. And I felt it was so important for me to really know what I know within building construction because my company was going to do more of those services that I actually stopped the doctorate program that I was enrolled in, enrolled into the master's program at Georgia Tech. And as a result of that, I now will be pursuing my PhD in building construction at Georgia Tech in the fall. And again, this wasn't a very traditional path for me, Mm -hmm. but it's just so important based off of things that you just talked about. It's so important for us to uh, reach back and pull the next generation up because there's so many opportunities, so many uh, opportunities for for young girls to, you know, have roles that they traditionally didn't think they could have. So what is your what is that gold nugget that you want to leave folks who might be be in that non-traditional path? What do you want them to know? You know, I've over the past few uh, days, I've seen all these graduations on social media and I've noticed there are several people like me who went a non-traditional path. And what I would like to tell people is it's never too late to pursue your goals and your dreams. And if it is going back to finish your degree or start a new career, you know what? Go for it. And I encourage people to do that, especially the young folks. This young generation is fearless. I can tell you that. Mm -hmm. But giving them the direction and the guidance and the resources is so critical for for their success. Let's take a moment where this is the part of the conversation where we have to thank, you know, moms, dads, husbands, spouses, whatever. Uh, Who has been... uh, that that rock for you those that support system for you through all of this and you better not leave out your four-year-old german shepherd <laughs> <laughs> absolutely well first you know there is my husband terrence washington i tell you he is a uh, a rock star he whatever i decide i want to do he is like i'm 100 percent behind you and to have his support is really you know what what fuels me um my son who's now 14 years old uh, he is my inspiration. Mm-hmm. He truly is my why, uh, why I want to continue to do well and show him that I'm doing well. And of course, my mother, my mother who lives in Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, Lavonna Moore, she is uh, phenomenal. You should have a show about her. Okay. But she is a phenomenal, <laughs> she is a phenomenal <laughs> uh, woman of God. And she's completely been in my corner from day one in ways that just exceeds being a mother. And of course, my four-year-old German Shepherd Cave. He is—he's uh, like my my second child, so he's fun to come home to and see. Is Cave—is he the reason for the name of the company? Uh, that's another story. Uh, <laughs> my husband played uh, uh, real quick. My husband played college football, and he was pretty good, they say. And <laughs> he was wild like a caveman, and so his name was Cave because he was a caveman because he was defense guy and so the name kind of uh stuck as we were trying to decide the name of our company to have something unique and something personal as well so can for candace and k for for uh my husband and what position did your husband play was he a running back 
No, he was on defense. You should have a show on him, too. Just (laughs) have a a show on the whole Washington family. Yes, the whole Washington family. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, he played on defense. Um, He he had a lot of records that he set in high school and some in college. And, of course, now my son is is the same way, and hopefully he gets a a, a full ride somewhere in – in high in college that's what our hope is and he is a uh, he's pretty wild and, and strong and all of that that goes with the requirements for football that's but great. i'm extremely proud of them um i i wouldn't be where i am without their love and their support all right then here comes that all well it's all the questions we hope have been important but where do you see yourself in maybe five years five ten years maybe I tell you what I, I hopefully hopefully that I'll be retired somewhere where I can sit back and 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 travel around and and uh, support people that have supported me. Uh, but seriously, I really would like to be uh, thriving in my companies. Um, we uh, recently expanded our services to include general contracting. Um, I'll be a licensed general contractor in June, and as a result, we'll be able to um, have reciprocal licenses in a couple other states. So in five years, I want to have my company to be uh, a thriving, successful business. And hopefully those numbers, how optimistic are you in those numbers that we talked about in terms of women in construction and women of color in construction and construction management? Is it going to take another decade or so? And will we see these numbers? Will we see that gender gap close? Uh, I think we're going to have to put a lot of focus and effort on uh, promoting the opportunities within construction for women and how they can impact that industry. But my personal opinion, uh, I speculate at least 10 years before you start to see the needle move Mm -hmm. with the representation of women in construction. All right. Candace Washington, hold on to this because there's a lot to say, but Candace Washington, 2022 graduate Georgia Tech, earned her master's in construction management. She's also the CEO and founder of the privately owned WMBE certified construction management and engineering firms, Concave Management and Concave Engineering. Candace, Candace, thank you so much for taking the time. Congratulations again, and keep us posted. And uh, best of luck to you and everybody in your German and your German Shepherd Cave. <laughs> Great. Thanks again so much for having me and allowing me the opportunity to tell my story. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you. And Closer Look continues here on 90.1 WABE from Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. As we conclude our profiles of area college graduates, we're going to stop at Spelman College. Lawyer, voting rights activist, Democratic gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams, also an alumna, spoke at the All-Women's Liberal Arts College 135th Commencement. And here she encouraged graduates to be bold in their ambition. But I'm also here to say thank you to you. Because as you commence... As you begin the next phase of your lives, as you turn those tassels and you throw those caps in the air never to be seen again, as you worry about financial aid payments that will begin in six to eight months, and you worry about the decisions that you've made, I am here to tell you you're all right. You've done your best. You have learned your lessons, not your losses. You are on the cusp of knowing what you believe 
You are ready to be bold in your ambitions and to lead the future. And everyone has a story. I'm joined now by one of the graduates that was in that audience, the Stacey Abrams Address, Alexandria Warner. She recently earned her bachelor's degree, I believe I have this right, in health sciences. But there's a journey here. There's a story. And so now we welcome Alexandria to the program. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me today. First of all, congratulations. Thank you. How many folks were uh, came came to the ceremony to, to watch you do that, that that thing that y'all do that now, now that you're a Spelman alumna, you put your hands in the air and you do this little, I don't know, it's like a wave gesture. It's, I don't know what that's called, but I was, I was told I couldn't do it because I'm not an alumna, so I don't do it. Absolutely. I had nine of my family members come and support me during the graduation, which was an amazing honor to have. Yeah. Where are you from? I'm from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Why did you choose Spelman in the first place? I actually didn't start off at Spelman. I started off at the University of Pittsburgh and I decided to transfer to Spelman for a more supportive network and for better guidance with moving on towards my future and to have smaller classes where the teachers really know who I am and care about me and care about the future of their students Mm -hmm. and are able to avail their students of many opportunities that just allow you to better yourself and better those around you and better your community. Before we get to uh, more of your personal journey, I just want to ask you with the last two years, particularly in terms of the pandemic and and virtual classes and on campus and back off, how how did you, well, how would you, let me ask you this, how would you sum all that up, that experience? Yes, the experience of going to college during COVID has been trying to say the least. Um, Being in classes and then also having to move online for classes is a little bit difficult. It's definitely a different learning style, a lot more self-led and self-guided. And then going from being online to being back in person was a little bit difficult because you kind of have certain study skills that are different when you're online versus when you're in person. So there's definitely been an adjustment period, but I was very happy to be back on campus this semester with the rest of my Spelman sisters. I want to go back a little bit to uh, a date, November 16th, 2018. Can you take our listeners to what happened that day and, and what you feel comfortable sharing? Sure, absolutely. So on November 16th of 2018, me and two of my Spelman sisters took a quick study break on a Friday afternoon, and we went right down the block to go to Church's Chicken just to get a snack. And we went to the drive-through and on our way back to school, we were ended by a high-speed police chase going 80 to 100 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in the back right seat and the car got smushed and then spun and hit a utility pole on my side. Luckily, um, all three of us are, are doing fine. We are okay today, thank God. Um, but I sustained a, a ton of life-threatening injuries, including a windmill pelvis fracture, my broken lower lumbar, I broke my right hip, um, broken rib cages, broken sternum, I popped my right lung, um, I had to have a splenectomy, I had liver lacerations, and then one of the biggest injuries that I had was my traumatic brain injury, mm-hmm. and then I also, both of my large renal arteries were severed in the same instance, and so I lost both of my kidney functionings. So from that point on, I was uh, on dialysis and I was in the hospital for about 111 days, just recovering kind of in and out of the ICU. And um, I'm just happy and blessed to be here today. When you think back to all those days in the hospital and you're aware of of all this, and and my goodness, Alexandra, you just gave a list 
that I uh, that I have never heard that one individual has received, and we are so glad that you are still with us. But when you think back to those days in the hospital, what was going through your mind in terms of am I going to be able to finish my college education? Yes. Um, at first, it was very difficult for me because of my traumatic brain injury and such. I didn't really understand the severity of the situation that my body was in. Um, and I actually, when I look back, it's a little bit funny that you asked because I remember when I first woke up from the coma, I was in a medically induced coma for about a week. Mm -hmm. And when I woke up, I said, mom, make sure that I'm registered for next semester for after winter break so I can go back to school. Um, and of course, at that point, my mom didn't want to, you know, break my heart. And so she said, oh, of course, you know, but don't worry about that right now. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get the semester finished whenever we can. And just my, uh, my stomach community was so supportive of me in that. And um, so I, I think at a, at a very early stage, I knew that I did want to continue my education and I wanted to go back and I wanted to finish school. So it was something that was a very um, big motivating factor for me and just wanting to continue my education and, and get back to Spelman and rejoin the sisterhood in person. But throughout all this too, Alexandra, it was discovered that you would need a kidney transplant and you were placed on yes. a, a waiting list. Yes, um, that was probably one of the most difficult things that I faced while I was in the hospital because they originally told me that I was going to have to wait about five to seven years to get a kidney transplant. And uh, being on dialysis, I was on dialysis for five days a week for about three to four and a half hours um, and was very much so exhausted after my, my brain was pretty foggy just because of all of the dialysis and all of the things that my body were going through. So I really was praying very hard for a kidney transplant. And my mom actually decided that she would do a paired donor exchange with me. So we had ourselves and then eight other pairs of people who had someone who was willing to donate for them, but was not necessarily a match. My mom was not a match for me anymore after I'd had so many blood transfusions. So she was able to give her kidney to someone else who needed it. And I was able to receive the kidney that I needed through this peridonor exchange program. And it's been such a blessing because after I had my kidney transplant, my recovery sort of started to escalate and I was finally able to, you know, do a little bit more. I had a lot more energy and I had a lot more clarity in my thinking and in my healing process, which really allowed me to be able to return back to school and start taking classes just virtually at first online. How many surgeries did you undergo? I've had um, about over 13 surgeries, um, um, some of them very major, some of them a little bit more minor, um, but around 13 surgeries. You mentioned your mother, your family, your support from your sisters at Spelman, the Spelman faculty and staff. I know that uh, Reverend Dr. Guidry came, who's been on this program before, Spelman College president, Dr. Mary Schmidt Campbell, others came to visit you. How important was that? That was so important to me. And it really made me realize that I was in the right place. I was in a school that really cared about me, a community that really was able to uplift me during that time. And I don't think I would have made it without them. They motivated me to keep going every day. They would check in on me. They would come and sit with me and just give me some company. Um, my friends would do you know silly things like watching netflix shows with me um even though we weren't together it was still nice to be able to just 
commune with each other and be able to still be a part of the community, even though I wasn't there in person. And like you said, just from the president to reverends to everybody was able to come and visit me and support me during this time. And it really just reinforced in me that I was in the right space and that Spelman was definitely the community to uplift me and to continue to encourage me to keep growing, to keep pushing and to keep doing things that um, even you know doctors didn't really expect me to be able to do. But they gave me that confidence that I needed and that support that I needed to say, you know what, I appreciate your opinion, doctor, that I might not be able to walk again, that I might not be able to. You were told you were you, you were told you may not walk again. Yes. Um, and and, you know, that I may not survive or I may not move past the ICU or be able to get off of dialysis or things like that. And um, it, it helped me to be able to say, you know, thank you. I appreciate your 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 opinion. But you know, God and and my sisters and my community has rallied behind me. And I really do believe that healing is possible. You had to relearn in a a sense how to walk, talk, read and write. Yes, absolutely. And it was very difficult and frustrating sometimes. Um, I oftentimes go back to simple things like I could not even form the sentence, you know, mom, can you turn off the light? Um, and I remember just pointing and saying light, light uh, and not being able to make that full sentence. And, you know, it's so frustrating going from being uh, an, an honor student, um, pre-medical track, very driven, very motivated, um, and then being at a place where your brain is pretty much empty and you don't know really where you are, who you are, you don't know how to communicate. And, and that was definitely very, um, it was a frustrating time, but I did a lot of work with my speech therapist, my occupational therapist, and my physical therapist, and have honestly been able to regain a lot of my functioning. So it's just been such a blessing. And then, Alexandra, you're ready to return to re- to to resume your studies. Then this pandemic happens, and obviously for folks like you, you know, for health reasons too, you have to be concerned about that. How was that process for you because now you've got something else to deal with that you really can't control which is whether or not you can you're going to contract this virus and so you're doing virtual and you remain virtual correct yes so i did my first semester back completely virtual um and i took a class this summer before that as well and it was completely virtual um it was definitely a little bit disconcerting it was a little bit um I would just say disappointing Mm -hmm. um, because I had just had my kidney transplant. And at that point I thought, you know, I'm going to have my transplant. I'm going to be able to go back to school. This is going to be great. And then the pandemic kind of hit. um, And my doctors pretty much told me, you know, if you get COVID, you will pass away or, you know, at the very least you may lose your kidney. Mm -hmm. And at this time, you know, for me, it was just so important for me to be able to keep my kidney to maintain that health. So I did not go back to school in person. And I decided that I was just going to do school online. And actually that semester, everyone ended up being online after about, I believe it was a month or two of school and people were sent home, but it was definitely very um, anxiety rising Mm -hmm. um, just because we, had this whole new issue to deal with COVID. Mm -hmm. And I think it really impacted not just me, but a lot of people 
Um, it took us away from being able to do things in person together. It kind of took everyone away from being able to do their studies in person, from getting that kind of one-on-one -on -one help in person that you kind of need when it comes to a college setting. So it was difficult, but nonetheless, I think that the Spelman professors did a very good job mm -hmm. of reaching out to students and making sure that we still had certain events and services that we were able to do to keep that Spelman community strong. And so when you think from that tragic accident, November 2018, and when you finally were able to set foot back at your the institution that you love so much, Spelman College, it's it's 2022, pretty much four years. Was well, that a little uh, a little emotional for you? Did you shed a tear? Yes, <laughs> yes. And it's okay I if did. you did. I definitely did, and it was it was very emotional for me because I wasn't sure if I was ever going to be able to go back. Um, and when I spoke with my doctors and 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 my therapists, and I consulted all of them, and they said, you know what, I think you should go for it because, um, you know, COVID is going to be a part of our lives now every day. And I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. Um, and, you know, we kind of have to learn how to adapt and how to exist in this type of society where we, you know, live in the present day pandemic. And so it was a little bit difficult at first. I was very nervous at first. Um, but the good thing is that Spellman did a really good job of making sure that students were vaccinated, that we were wearing masks and had masks available to us at all times. And um, it, it just, it was really just heartwarming to be mm -hmm. back on campus with everybody else back and to be able to go to class in person. It was just, it's, it was such a blessing, such a huge blessing. What is next for you? Uh, I know you have uh, some research, you're going to be a researcher or you've done some work as a researcher? Yes, uh, last summer I actually was able to participate in a kidney medicine research program at the, the uh, Harvard, and I completely loved it. I fell in love. So I definitely know that I want to go into kidney medicine. Um, specifically, I would love to work with pediatrics. So I'm going to be applying to PA school next. And so that's what I hope I will be doing within the next year, starting PA school. And I would love to work with um, transplants and be able to help other people, especially young people who are African-American, since we often mm -hmm. are the ones who are suffering from kidney disease and we're the ones who need the most amount of transplants. So I would love to be able to work with kids just because for me, it was so difficult to hear from different doctors or different physicians assistants that, you know, I just needed to be patient mm -hmm. and I needed to wait for the best kidney that I could get. And it was frustrating because, you know, they've never been on dialysis. They've never known what it's like not to have kidneys or to have to wait for something that large, mm -hmm. something that can really change your life like that. And um, I think that it would be amazing to be able to repay the debt that was given on to me. Um, I wasn't ambulating and my, my nephrologist took a step and a leap of faith. And she said, you know what? I think that this girl is going to be able to get it together. I think she's going to be able to figure out how to walk. I think she's going to be able to figure out how to ambulate. And I think that she's dedicated and her family is dedicated and her community is dedicated to her getting better. So she kind of took a leap of faith on me. Yeah. Um, and I would love to be able to do that for somebody else one day. I think you will. And as we wrap up, then when you talk about this whole journey, and I've said this before, you know, it, it's not about the destination. It is about the journey. What is your message to someone listening out there about not giving up? perseverance and grit because if anybody can talk about getting through something it's you 
Absolutely. I, I would say that for me, the most important Bible verse that kind of got me through this is faith. It does not make things easy. It makes them possible. And so I'm not saying it's going to be easy. You're going to have terrible days where you wake up and you're going to be in pain and you're not going to want to, you know, roll over, get yourself dressed or go through that struggle of going up and down the stairs or figuring out how to get your life back. But it is possible as long as you have faith in yourself and have faith in the Lord and have faith in your community and everybody around you, you can do it. And I think that that's the biggest thing that was able to help me was my mindset and just having an attitude of gratitude every day has been such a blessing. And I think when I open my eyes, just, you know, thank God that I'm here today and I get to spend time with my friends and my family and, and get to continue to pursue um, my career passions and express myself. I just encourage everyone to just continue to have that attitude of gratitude and um, really be able to just believe in yourself and believe in, like you said, your grit and your ability to just get up every day and keep going. All right. Alexandra Warner, Spelman Health Science Health Sciences major class of 2022. Congratulations. Best of luck to you. Keep us posted. We have no doubt that you're going to do all the things you just talked about. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on here today. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are Janine Etter, LaShawn Hudson, and Daniel Razel. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Just send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's show, it's always online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And you know, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Once again, congratulations to all the graduates out there. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.